I think, well, maybe if I have more, 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 and I kept getting mm-hmm. that other more number and I felt emptier, more alone and dissatisfied. And I think I was on my way to having a nervous breakdown, all kinds of stuff. People on the outside looking in, all they could see is, oh, I'm on this list and I've got this success and this, and oh, you must have the perfect. And like, man, if you only knew, there's a saying we used to have in my YPO forum, the happiest people we know, we don't know very well. Meaning that you're seeing the facade. Wow. So I love working with people to help them free themselves as I did. Hey, my name is Stacey Havener. I'm obsessed with startups, stories, and sales. Storytelling has fueled my success as a female founder in the toughest boys club, Wall Street. I've raised over $8 billion that has led to $30 billion in follow-on assets for investment boutiques. You could say against the odds. Yeah, understatement. I share stories of the people behind the portfolios while teaching you how to use story to shape outcomes. It's real talk here. Money, authenticity, growth, setbacks, sales and marketing are all topics we discuss. Think of this as the capital raising class you wish you had in college mixed with happy hour. Pull up a seat, grab your notebook, and get ready to be inspired and challenged while you learn. This is the Billion Dollar Backstory Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Billion Dollar Backstory Podcast. I am your host, Stacey Havener. And today we are joined by one of the icons in the independent advisor space, my friend, Ron Carson. Ron is one of the industry's most passionate, most successful advisors. He's the CEO and founder of a platform that serves independent advisors and their clients, the $20 billion Carson Group. They serve over 44,000 families through their advisory network, including 135 partner firms and 35 Carson Wealth locations. You might know a lot of stats and figures about Ron and Carson, but today we're going to dive into the stories and talk about Ron's journey as a professional, but also as a person. My conversations with Ron are always magic, and I'm thrilled to invite all of you to join us. Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Stacey. Well, it's a pleasure. I mentioned stories, and even in the green room, if you will, we were talking about your story, and and I've heard you tell it. It's phenomenal. So for people who haven't heard the journey of you as a small-town farmer into kind of the big, bright lights of finance, will you take us through that? Yeah, I would. It's fun. Literally, five minutes before we started talking, I had a gentleman, because I get people reaching out to me on LinkedIn all the time, and he's like, hey, I, I want to come and meet you. He's from Nebraska. He started this business. It just brought me back because he's from Lincoln, actually, where our company started from. Uh, I was 18 years old and really started this business out on cold calling out of a phone book, uh, my college dorm room. But the backpack story is my mom was from Ohio. My dad's from Nebraska. People say, how'd you end up in farming in Nebraska? My father was at Patterson Air Force Base uh, in Dayton, Ohio. Met my mother uh, after he did his time. They moved back, take over my grandparents' family farm. And I was a farmer. I thought I was going to be a farmer. I did, you know, our whole family did everything farming. And when I was 17, and a lot of farmers during that time went broke, 
And you know, think back in 1982, interest rates were 21.5%. And it was scary for me. My dad, I'm realizing this now, and this is stuff you've not heard on previous interviews or podcasts, but mm. a, an epiphany really just in the last few months. And my dad operated on, I'll call, I'll call it a fear-based operating system. He was poor growing up. And he was everything in his life. He was he was afraid, afraid of losing, afraid of not looking up to provide for his family. And then just imagine his worst nightmare came true. You know, he lost everything that, that we had. And I one and only time I'd ever seen my dad cry. Even to this day. It was the only time I've ever seen him cry. Yeah. And he said, Ronnie, I can't even support your mom and your sister. Ugh. We need to find something else to do. And Shortly after that, I was sitting in the library reading Money Magazine and it said top professions of the future, become a financial advisor, get a CFP. And I thought, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. And I had had some interest. I had a little bit of money from the work I had done. I, I was, I'd say, a serial entrepreneur even as a kid. And you know, I remember having a, you know, a lemonade stand and then I sold reading cards and had a little popcorn you sold I did. cards? Yeah. I love that. I, you could, at the back of like these magazines, you could order. I even imported fireworks when I was <laughs> in, a freshman in high school and I made a catalog and I'm importing these from China and they're illegal. Oh and I'm my taking gosh. Oh my I'm gosh. <laughs> catalogs. I mark everything up 100%, yeah. which is still cheaper than you can buy it. And I'm shocked at, you know, like if something would have gone yeah. off my locker, I'd have blown the whole school up. And I never even once had a teacher or administrator say, what are you doing? You know, it just shows you how times have changed from then. But I Amazing. was like, ooh, and I had bought a couple of stocks. And so I had this interest. And I just knew for certain that, you know, I wanted to do something around finance. And I was totally an unconscious incompetent. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I, and I knew I didn't, and I really didn't know where to start. And as you remember, Stacy, back in those days, all about selling product, everything was mm -hmm. paid. Mm -hmm. No one knew what they were paying, uh, mutual funds in those days, people could pay up to, if you had a contractual plan, a 20% front end load, mutual fund companies didn't even put the value on the statement because it was a bear market on top of the load. And I very quickly realized that I wanted to kind of do it differently. And I had a clean slate to start from. I started to realize that people were starving to have an advocate sit on their side of the table, expose a lot of the stuff. Unfortunately, that still goes on in financial services today. It still drives mm -hmm. me crazy to think we have two regulators, two sets of rules. And I really don't believe that the consumer's interest is being protected at the level that it should be. But that's really what Carson, you know, fast forward to today. Yeah. That's why we've had our growth is, is we really believe that people want to find their personal freedom. I believe in Maslow's hierarchy yeah. of needs. And like my father and like me for most of my life, I operated on fear, not abundance, not luck. And I think a lot of the world's problems today, you know, I'm passionate about Jeannie and I and our whole family is passionate about impact. I'd like to see as in world hunger in my lifetime, doing that to uh, BillHungryChild.org. Also, clean water through stockers and charity water. Hence, the cap. I just we just did a fundraiser for them last week. Back in Aspen. Love it. And then mental wellness. 
I believe if we can make significant progress in those areas, those are symptoms, they're going to always be there unless we can shift from a abundance mentality away from the sheer fear-based operating system for the world. And that's really, I'm spending a lot of my energy and time around, you know, how do, how do we do that? How do we align the right people? And I believe it's happening. There's a real vibe change going on in the world today. People care more, you know, about impact, about how they show up, about the resources that, you know, that we bring to the, the game of life for humanity than ever before. Think about what the journey you just took us on there, you know, the fear mentality, the product pitching, the, I mean, gouging really yes. that was happening in this industry. And now here we are sitting here today and we're talking about abundance and mental wellness and freedom. And I love on your website, you have this call out right there so proudly, like love your business. We're using love in the financial industry. I think that's amazing. And to your point, I think it's pent up in the people in this space and the broader world. But here, this is just stuff that's not talked about. So I appreciate you shining a light on it. I want to talk about, you've said that, you know, the, the farming roots and I relate to that being sort of an odd duck in an industry that, you know, just I, I never envisioned myself in. So when you started, were you like, was your target market farmers? It was. Yeah. Because I knew nothing about the profession, which most people coming in don't. You don't need a college degree. Right. You really can go do a weekend course and pass the securities test. There's not... You know, in my opinion, there's mm-hmm. not a high enough barrier still to this day to come into the profession. But I could talk weather. I could talk equipment. I would sit at the kitchen table with farmers. And I was young. I was 18 years old. And they would give me a little bit of money to invest. I remember uh, they, they've since passed. There was a um, Gertrude and Herbert McClellan. They're, they lived in uh, Fairmont, Nebraska, really itty-bitty town. They had just sold their pharmacy um, they had a little bit of money, and they had give they wrote me a check for two thousand dollars. I remember the very first client I ever had. I remember pulling out into the country on a gravel road, got out of my car, ran around my car like three or four times, jumping up and down. Just, <laughs> oh, like good! Really. <laughs> you know, I, I made a total of about eighty dollars, I think, on first <laughs> my yeah. first sale. But yeah, I mean, and it was they. So it was farmers or people related in farm communities. So to, really tied yeah. to the farm, the farm industry. And I think that's so important for people to realize because you know I believe strongly, as I know you do, in the power of people, right? People do business with people and the power of story, but it's important. Not just what are you saying? What stories are you telling is who are you telling them to? And so even though you were 17, because you had grown up in that space, that actually became a superpower for you because you were talking to someone specific about something specific that you knew. It wasn't, you went in and said, I'm an expert on finance. You're like, I'm like you, I'm a farmer, but I, I can be a guide in, an, in a space that you maybe aren't as familiar with and need help. That's powerful. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Ultimus Fund Solutions. 
Since our founding in 1989, we believe that alternative investments are an integral part of client portfolios. Unfortunately, delivering high-quality hedge funds and private market exposures has always been a challenge for the wealth management industry. These type of alternative investments introduce unique challenges related to taxes, qualifications, paperwork, and reporting. As a result, high net worth investors tend to be significantly underallocated to both hedge funds and private markets relative to institutional investors. That's Stephanie Lang, Chief Investment Officer from Homrick Berg, an $11 billion RIA headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, that serves over 2,700 clients in 46 states. You can tell they believe in helping high net worth clients access hedge funds and other alternative investments. They are equally as passionate about broadening that access for all their clients, not just qualified purchasers or a select group of accredited investors. Meet Nick Darsh from Ultimus with some backstory. Hallmark Berg created a 3C1 fund in January 1999 to provide their high net worth and institutional investors with ready access to a diversified portfolio of hedge funds. As interest in the fund grew and the constraint of the 100 investor rule loomed, HB began exploring ways to continue expanding the investor pool without negatively affecting existing shareholders. We'll hear more about the creative fund conversion work that made it possible later in the show. Now, back to the program. So now, jump stop to here today, who would you say your target market is? So our target market is, and as you know, I used to teach something called love affair marketing and passion prospecting to other advisors. My target market was who did I connect with? Who did I have common interest mm-hmm. with? Because I didn't want to do business with people that I wasn't looking forward to meeting. And this is a touchy feeling thing for Carson. We are a family. The people we serve are an extended part of our family. And we take care and care about our family. And it really transcends all kinds of occupations, all kinds of ways of life. But the common denominator for me personally is people that want to leave the world a better place than they found it. They want to have measurable impact, especially on some of the humanitarian relief efforts. They want to be very involved in their community. And because that's how I rally my my extended family here at Carson is the work we do is around helping people find their freedom so they can feel comfortable moving from, am I going to have enough fear to where I'm for sure going to have enough abundance and the excess, let's do something really cool. You know, what kind of legacy do you want to live? And we actually work with high net worth families in establishing rites of passage for future generations, family constitution. What do you want it to stand for? How does it be amended? All the way down to people just getting started because everybody needs help. And so I would say that in even our, we call them internal stakeholders. We don't have employees here at Carson. Is that the work they do, like we have a in-world hunger wall. So every time we bring on a new partner, Jeannie and I, if not the company, because we want the company to focus on what they do, we sponsor a school in Africa. You know, so we want to tie our activity to the impact and causes we're passionate about. And I'd say we want to attract clients who want to find their own personal freedom so they can, by extension through the work we're doing, help other people have an impact and help them find their personal freedom. Today, we suffer from so much anxiety. 
almost weekly, I have someone tell me, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to have kids because I don't want to bring a kid into this world. The truth, yeah. the truth is different. We're at an all-time low in violence in the world. All-time low. Even though you would never know that by listening to the media. Standard of livings are at an all-time high in the world. And we have plenty that we just need a more efficient way of distributing some of the resources we have. So we really do live in an amazing time in history where people are doing better. We don't have to worry about being attacked and losing our life. It's as low as it's ever been worldwide. And so I'm really optimistic, Stacey. I'm excited, but I think it's time that that we help people move out of the anxiety-ridden world. I think media plays a lot to that. I think our political system on both sides play into that fear, you know, always talking about what could happen in the fear and scaring people into really manipulating them. That's well said. And I think what's interesting here is that you talked about, you want to work with people that are like-minded that share passion. And so when you're, whether it's a family you're serving and I'm extrapolating this to, or an advisor that you're partnering with, that alignment is important. And what we talk about a lot with our clients is you can't be everything to everyone. And if you're going to attract your target market, you have to be brave enough in what you say that you're going to repel the people that are not for you. That's what a magnet does, right? It's two sides. You can't be like, well, I'm not going to repel. I'm not, I don't want to offend anyone or have anyone not like me. I want to be for everyone. Because if you try to do that, you will actually end up being for no one. Well and I think what you said there is so on point. Staying with that thread and maybe just pulling on it yeah. a little bit here. I was going to say, if you're an outsider, but even if you're an insider in the investment space, you would look at our industry and say, oh, well, the key to succeeding in the investment and finance world is be big. Be big and be everything to everyone because the odds in this business favor the largest firms who are generalists and who do the exact opposite of what we were just talking about, to be frank. They try to be everything for everyone. And I'm wondering how you square that because you have grown a very big enterprise, but I also know that you are very specialized and you lean into what's important to you. So do you think there's a place for specialists in this world of bigs and generalists? Wow, there's a lot there. Let me kind of dissect this, Stacey. First of all, you know, Carson today, we're pushing 22 billion in assets. And I think to be relevant, we're going to have to be 100 billion. And here's why. Let me provide a little more detail. The future is going to be won by those that can provide the most value and the most convenience. I don't care what kind of services you're providing. We're in a meritocracy. You know, back when I first got started, it was a relationship business. If you like people, you did business with them and you had no idea. Neither did a lot of the advisors had no idea who was taking what, who was making what, because disclosure was poor. As long as it's put in a prospectus. And you hit a suitability requirement and people signed and said they read it, which no one understood. You could do it to them. And it was terrible. And there's still that standard today. The difference between the brokerage standard versus the fiduciary standard. And I, people are becoming more educated. And they have more information than ever before to make decisions. And so with armed with that knowledge, they are asking better questions. I think they're making better decisions. 
and understand that they're going to do business with people that are being proactive and anticipating their need before they even know they have the need. Hence our size. Come back to as I started with that. Mm -hmm. We have invested at Carson. If I said $100 million, that'd be a dramatic understatement in data, in data warehouse to be able to leverage the artificial intelligence that is coming. And a lot of people think that's bad. There's a really beautiful side to it is where if data is not used against you, but used for you, not used to manipulate you, Mm. but used to help you, it's a game changer. Not only from the side of, of convenience, but also understanding that you have this need come. It may be, I've got grandkids going off to college. Oh, you have medical power. Automatically, the system can know that. Or this rich data that says, I can refinance your mortgage for you automatically because there's a $653 savings. Or, you know, I could just go on and on. Your legal documents, I can, the AI has scanned them. They're not relevant for what you're doing today. And we have all of that wow. data held in this environment. If I'm a two or three or $400 million shop by myself, that's who I'm going to be competing with. And I think of the Amazon as a way to look forward. Now, love or hate Amazon, pretty much everybody listening to this is an Amazon client. And look at the genie. My wife was asking me the other day, she goes, is Kmart still around? Is ShopGood still around? I mean, (laughs) who does business that way? And I think those are the smaller firms of today. So I believe that our advantage is we sit on the same side of the table as a client. We're about conscious capitalism, but we've got to be at a size where we can drive an Amazon kind of experience that people don't even question. No one wants to pay a fee. Who wants to pay someone 1% to make 1% a year or less? What they want is to make an investment in their future and know that the return that they are getting is in a, is exponential to the piece of value that someone's asking the trade. You give me a dollar, I want to be able to get a dollar fifty back every year, a dollar twenty back. And not just in financial terms, but I'm talking about in value and sustainable value that transcends all parts of their life. And that's the big bet we're making at Carson is that people are going to care about impact. They're going to care about the work that we do with the success that we have. And they want, we want to be very visible about the work that we're doing, but before they even can care about all of that, they want to know what's it mean for them and how are we going to make their life better? How are they going to have the peace of mind to know that someone is truly watching out for them, right? It's not about how much Mm -hmm. money can I make, but someone is being a consumer advocate and thinking about the things I'm not thinking about in my everyday life and tying all that together in a very convenient, simplistic experience that I get to have. That's where we're going. And you can't do that really even over 22 billion in assets. That's more of a hundred billion plus. Yeah. And just because you're big doesn't mean that you lose your culture. And I think people associate big with bad. It really, we charge everybody here at Carson to be an, a culture agent. Everybody here at Carson to be an innovation agent. How do we continue to look at everything we do? I just in Houston a couple of days ago and I got to visit the new space station that's being built and it's going to be deployed. And NASA is actually contracted with Axiom to do this. And because of their, I mean, they've got 800, I think, and they call them employees, internal stakeholders. They're doing things 10 times faster for 20th of the price that NASA was doing. 
because they have a different culture and the culture is beautiful. If you ever get a chance to go down there and mm-hmm. see what's going on, 800 people and they have a watch out for each other culture, how to collaborate culture, how to have input, yeah. how to figure out a quicker, faster, better way to deliver an outcome versus doing it the old way. The big wow. is not- that, yeah, big is not bad. I like that. I'm going to challenge a little because what I think is true about Carson and maybe it's just you know, sort of what I want to be true is that your culture supports. So if I'm an advisor and I plug into the platform at Carson, can I still have my culture too? Can I still have my specialization? Like, let's say I serve, I don't know, females in finance and that's my niche. Can I keep that niche? And are you going to support me in that? Because then what you're saying is, yes, you're Amazon. I'm using quotes, which no one can <laughs> yeah. see. But you're actually a collection of specialists and you're helping them be better together than they could ever be apart. That's exactly what we are, Stacy. is we give the breadth and depth of being on a, a battleship. You know, if you think of the analogy of, mm-hmm. of, of business, but for you to have the local personality to focus on the area you want to focus on. And that has been why our growth has been really good. And this isn't to brag, but it's to be, to give people some context. You know, this is our, I think our sixth year on the Inc. 5000 list. Bain came in, a private equity firm. People think private equity is bad too. Bain Capital came in and invested. They've been amazing partners. And what people don't know, like Bain, some of their portfolio companies, they've held for 20 years. And they have been just amazing, amazing partners around. And this, they saw something like our organic growth rate was three times faster than industry average. The reason I share that stat is that is validation of how the end client is feeling about what we're doing and how we're showing up. And our partners, so often they've been stuck in a system that was around how can we make the most money? Yeah, we got to be profitable. We owe it to our internal stakeholders, people we serve, but it's number three on the list. The first is taking care of the client. Number two is taking care of our community. And part of that is having people's essence shine through to where they can deliver the most value to the people they serve. Because once you like and trust someone, you can help them up Maslow's hierarchy to find their personal freedom. And that's what living and being human is all about. Gosh, I love that. And that is such a perfect dovetail to my next question. I love that you even kind of wove in the Bain piece because one of the things that jumps out to me as so rare about Carson, I mean, here you are, it's a massive business. You have private equity. You've got this 100-year, 100 billion kind of target, right? You're building something big with a collection of these specialists as your partners. But you, Ron Carson, have stayed the face, the heart, the soul of that business. And I think that's super rare at your size and scale and even rarer, if is rarer than your world is now. <laughs> if we say when, it's a when, when private, <laughs> I mean, I'm saying it, even more rare when private equity is involved. And so why is that so important to you? Because you, you don't have to do it. It's my, yeah, right? I've been very public about this, Stacey, is we're at least going to be a hundred year firm. And when you are, and I, there's a book out there. I love any business owner, or if you're interviewing a company to do business with them, um, it's called the infinite game. And Simon Sinek talks about 
um, and I would listen to it because he does such a beautiful job narrating the book, is when you're playing a game that's finite, you make really different decisions than if you're making, if you're playing an infinite game. And a good example of that, we've made enormous investments here at Carson in training the next gen. There's like, who's training the next gen? They come, they're trained on our systems within our culture. So I can tell a family, we're going to be here for the next seven generations of your family. This isn't someplace that's going to get acquired by somebody else. And then all of a sudden, you don't know who you're doing business with. And so we get to make investments. Yesterday, we had our board meeting with Bain. And we're looking at investments that have a four, five, a six, seven, sometimes 10-year payback. If you're playing a finite game, then you're looking at it totally differently. If you're playing, and the other thing Simon talks about is a just cause. We have a powerful just cause. We're attracting people from all over the country that want to come and be part of this because they believe in the mission, they believe in the just cause, helping the people we serve find their freedom, doing it at a higher level. And then the just cause on top of the just cause is really solving issues within our own communities and beyond that. Mm -hmm. And so the 100-year firm, me being here, if you said, Ron, what do you love doing the most is exactly what I'm doing. It's this. And I've surrounded yeah. myself with really great people to allow me to do the things I love to do. Uh, not the thing. I don't, there's nothing in my day that I have to do. I really look forward yeah. to everything I do. And I still have the farmer hours. I get up at four in the morning pretty much every day. I have my little routine and I'm loving my life. I, I like to say my, I love my life. My life loves me. And I'm like a nine-year-old yeah. on Christmas Eve pretty much every day. I want that same feeling for every human out there because a lot of people don't love their life. And it's because of the fear operating system versus the abundance operating system. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Ultimus Fund Solutions. When we first launched our internal fund of funds as a limited partnership, it was a great option for us to be able to provide 100 of our accredited and qualified purchaser clients with access to a diversified portfolio of hedge fund strategies. However, fast forward to 2016, our firm had grown to manage over $4 billion and serve over a thousand clients of various sizes, accreditations, and tax situations. We still firmly believe that high quality hedge fund exposure is important to client portfolios. It provides stability to client portfolios and generates a return stream that was not available in public and equity and fixed income markets. Unfortunately, the 3C1 structure with its slot limitations, high minimums, and K1 reporting was no longer ideal solution for our growing and complex client base. We looked at various alternative options with third-party hedge fund managers, liquid hedge mutual funds, but also discovered that we had an opportunity to register our fund with the SEC, preserve its extensive track record, and solve all of the issues that the 3C1 structure was creating for our business and clients. That's when we teamed up with Ultimus to begin the process of registering our legacy fund with the SEC and converting it to a tender offer fund. We'll hear more later in the show. Now, back to the program. So what's interesting about what you said there is a lot of interesting things, but the fact that you still love it and that you're still you so, I mean, we, our friendship grew on LinkedIn during COVID. Yes. And one of the things I loved about 
watching you there was like you would just take a camera or something and just like point it at yourself and do your little Ron Sense videos. And I'm like, it's amazing that A, that you do it and you do it with such authenticity. It's not scripted. You're just talking. And that the business you've built is supportive of that because you are putting a face to a business that at this size and scale could lose it. It could lose its soul very easily if you weren't there to be, you know, that heart and soul of the biz. And I wonder when, because so many founders are afraid to do that. They're terrified. And what advice do you have for them? Well, first of all, you can't comment on my videos without me commenting. And that's, I think, why we connected because I love your take on life, your take on just things. And people want to connect and they just want to connect with the person and the soul. I'm selling something, you know, or manipulating something. I'm just trying to speak my truth. That's where where I coach and I do still coach and mentor other entrepreneurs that are stuck in this hedonistic treadmill. This was me. I want to go back because up until about a decade ago, Stacey, I was miserable. I had all kinds of material stuff. There's a gentleman who spoke at a conference. I was just that I, we were both speaking at, uh, I guess his name's just Jesse Eisner. I get the same right. He's called the um, spiritual billionaire and uh, he's very wealthy, but he says, if you don't have that side, I'm not going to define what spiritual is, but I had zero of that. I grew up in an atheist household and no spirituality whatsoever in our, in our house. And when I met my, one of my wife, she was Lutheran. I became baptized before we got married, but I still didn't connect. I mean, it was, uh, we went to the Lutheran, it was Missouri Synod, it was very structured. And they lost me when my father-in-law passed away. It was very close to they wouldn't let me speak at his funeral because it was against their Missouri rule. Oh, wow. And I'm like, okay, now it pushed me even further away. And mm-hmm. then my mom passed away and I am like, I'm, there's no joy. I'm getting up every day. I'm working. I'm sprinting. I think, well, maybe if I have more, 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 and I kept getting mm-hmm. that other more number and I felt emptier, more alone and dissatisfied. And I think I was on my way to having a nervous breakdown all kinds of stuff. People on the outside looking in, all they could see is, oh, I'm on this list and I've got this success and this, and oh, man, you must have the perfect. And like, man, if you only knew, there's a saying we used to have in my YPO forum, the happiest people we know, we don't know very well. Meaning that you're seeing <laughs> the facade. Wow. So yep. I love working with people to help them free themselves as I did. I worked with a therapist and I think Sarah and I had had a, you know, Zerns from a good therapist and a bad therapist, but his name's Karoche. I spent a week out in Venice, California. It was intense. And it was after my mom died. I went into a deeper level of depression and despair. And even though I felt like I shouldn't be there, I just couldn't explain why I was there. And he really helped me understand that I didn't need to run from scarcity anymore that even if I did lose everything, is that really the end of the world? The end of the world is living the life you're living. He helped me see and understand at wow. a level, you're already in hell. You're already living hell. So you oh can't get any worse than where you're at. And he helped me feel that. And then, and this is a little controversial, but I am a big believer and I have personally done ayahuasca. I have done some of the, and I, and you talk about a 
spiritual awakening. I know it's kind of like popular, everybody's doing it. Back when I mm-hmm. did it, it was the first time I knew for certain that God existed. It was a first, wow. you talk about power. And I had this epiphany during one of my sessions that, and this gave me to, to this day, gives me so much power of understanding power of faith is that we think of all the disagreements, all the arguments, all the hate, all the killing around the religious beliefs, but we all had the same source. There's nobody out there that can argue we came from a different source. We all argue about how it all happened. But this allowed me to become spiritual. This allowed me to understand my purpose on this earth is for a reason. And it really is to help people live a higher, better life where they have an advocate and that ascension you know, to that level. And so I do it now for other people. And nothing gives me greater joy, you know, to be able to take someone from, and I, last year I was responsible for a handful of people quitting their jobs because they hated it. Mm. They were there for the money. Yeah. And every one of those right? quit, walked away from something they never envisioned they could ever walk away from or living the, they're happier than they've ever been. And they're making many cases way more, but in a couple cases, way less, but they didn't need any more. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that, what I would call kind of the messy middle in some ways. And I think that's a part of our journeys that people are very reluctant to share. So that was 10 years ago. And you kind of alluded to this with the people you've helped. I'm wondering 10 years ago when you were in it versus now, after doing all this work and really leaning into more of who you are and what's important to you and finding this, these other sides that, you know, the day-to-day nine-to-five wasn't supporting. After doing all of that, are you more successful now than you ever <laughs> imagined you would be there? That's, that's the crazy thing. Like, I was worried about scarcity, worried about all as soon as I started, yeah. as soon as I moved from fear to abundance... All of a sudden, I started attracting people into my life, Stacy, from all kinds of places, unexpected. The universe keeps score. You know, is that book, The Body Keeps mm-hmm. Score? The universe, uh, right? it does reward those that trust in its power. And our success has accelerated exponentially. But with that, and I believe this into the center of my core, it was divine intervention because of the impact that I that I want to have, need to have, am having. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I hope that as people listen to this, they don't only kind of get to know maybe some other sides of you and some other parts of your story. But I think when we hear someone share their story, it helps us have touch points to our own because maybe there's something similar that we went through right? Maybe, maybe people listening to this say, gosh, I'm in that place right now, or I I hate my job and I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I don't have this, or they listen to your story and say, if Ron can do this, if Ron can lean into this and share his story and look at what he's built and is building, if he can do it, so can I. And that's incredible. That's really the message now is I have been where you're at. I know what you're feeling. I know the Sometimes it's a perceived perception of what we, how people want to think about us, but it's not true to how we feel. 
but I'm on the other side mm-hmm. and I can pull you through to the other side and I've in this journey and it's safe. I'll grab your hand. You're on the side you don't want to be. There's a cliff. There's a massive chasm to chart. Come, I can help yeah. you get to the other side of this. And that right there, everyone listening, that is the difference between being the hero and the guide. Because Ron just took the story and said, I am not the hero. I'm the guide to the hero. And that is brilliant. Well, I want to end with something that I love. Um, I hope you do. And this is sort of my version of Proust's questionnaire. And this questionnaire, I don't know, I should probably know what year this (laughs) dates back to, but the idea was that there are these questions that you can ask people that give you an insight into who they are. And I think you've done a just a, a, a wonderful job of sharing who you are today in general, but we're still going to do the right. questions because they're also kind of fun. Okay, so you can answer the questions in one word. You can do a couple sentences, whatever. The first question is, what book inspires you? Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. Okay. Now, I want to say, I'm though, like writing I them all down. Start. Yeah. Book, Think and Grow Rich. I really yes, which everyone talks about the success early on. It gave me the ability to believe in myself and my mind. And then I recently, because they, they'd only released it, I think in like 2017, maybe 13, Outwitting the Devil. It's really good. Okay. Love that. Staying with inspiration, what place inspires you? Wherever I'm at. Oh, God, that's a great <laughs> answer. And I believe that that's true. Yeah. Wow, that is good. Okay, switching gears. Let's pretend. Let me paint a little picture here. Okay, you're, and maybe you've already done this, but I'm still going to paint anyway. So you're at a stadium, and this is like the Ron Carson concert, okay? And you're about to walk out into this, you know, 20, 30,000 of your true fans <laughs> or fans. And what song do they play as you're Dream walking Weaver. out at them? <laughs> and by the way, I gotta so we started this foundation 11 years ago. We provide end of life dreams for the terminally ill elderly in need. And we call it Dreamweaver because of the lyric. That's the, my absolute favorite song. That is so great. Okay. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? A singer. Rock. I like a sing. I like to be able to sing. <gasps> yeah. You know. Yeah. That's amazing. And I mean, hi, I already told you, you're going to have right? a concert. So we're putting that out I into actually, the universe. A year ago, I okay. worked for a year and I sang to my daughter and my kids are like, oh, no so I, I, uh, it was way out of my comfort zone. And my daughter about had a nervous breakdown and then uh, <laughs> I practiced enough that it sounded okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. Well, okay. So staying with professions, what profession would you not like to do? Oh man, I can't, I don't think anything. I don't think I would like any, I mean, not like to do is probably all of them, but what I'm doing, because I'm at a point in my life, Stacey, is that I get to do what I want to do and I'm choosing to do. So anything else would be less desirable. That's great. Anything else besides what you're doing right now? Love that. Okay. Now this is an interesting one because because we just talked about legacy and the hundred year firm and all of these things. But let's say, I'm not going to use the word, the R word, I'm not going to use retired, but what do you want people to say about you 
after you've left the industry? That you made my life better. That was amazing. Perfect. Well, you make my life better every time we talk, Ron. Thank you for being so candid and sharing with us today. Um, if people want to connect with you and follow your, your work, what are the best ways to do that? I know you're on LinkedIn. I would really, I mean, I'm on Instagrams and Twitter, but my team does that. LinkedIn, I do all my own stuff. So if you send me a message on LinkedIn, okay. I'm on LinkedIn every day. And I am my little, if you enjoy the videos, I cut a couple of a, a week and there are a couple of minutes. And, uh, but yeah, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Thank you for being here. Thank Ron. you for having me. I appreciate it. If you know a fund manager or a founder in the investment world with a great story, drop a note to Stacy at stacyhavener.com and tell me about it. Till next time, I'm Stacy Havener. Thanks for listening. And now a final word from our premier brand partner, Ultimus Fund Solutions. The conversion of Harmark Berg's LP into an integral fund empowered them to grow the fund from 90 million to over 200 million and expand the reach from 100 investors to nearly 700 new investors and continues to grow today. By pursuing the conversion, Harmark Berg was able to lower minimums to 25,000, welcome accredited investors in addition to qualified purchasers. The entire conversion process was highly efficient because Harmark Berg chose to partner with Ultimus and other partners with a proven track record in this type of structure-to-structure product transition. The headlines are often too focused on new interval funds from pedigreed providers, this new fund from this cool big firm, etc. Maximizing a fund's potential through a conversion can be powerful too, as we see in the story of Hallmark Berg. Traditional investment management and alternative investment management are converging. More retail investors are demanding access to non-correlated strategies in illiquid asset classes to complement or supplement public markets exposure. Interval and tender offer funds offer managers a flexible wrapper that combines many of the benefits of both 1940 Act and private fund structures. Interest in these products has increased significantly in the past decade, and we anticipate the volume of both new launches and structure conversions to continue well into the future. podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The information is not an offer, solicitation, or recommendation of any of the funds, services, or products, or to adopt any investment strategy. Investment values may fluctuate, and past performance is not a guide to future performance. All opinions expressed by guests on the show are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect those at their firm. Manager's appearance on the show does not constitute an endorsement by Stacey Havener or Havener Capital Partners.